we're going to come to the word of God and I'm going to pray and then, then we'll see what God wants to say. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. Thank you that we can know you because of the words that you've spoken to us from, from years past and you continue to speak to us today. And so, Lord, we just lay ourselves down before you again and we say, speak, Lord. We're listening. We want, we want more of you. So come and have your way, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Well, it's a privilege to be able to bring you God's words in this way. I want to start by imagining a really dry desert. Imagine that we're in Namibia, the south of Africa, and the sun is scorching down. There is sand for miles upon miles, and you, all you can see is kind of this golden brown sand. It's dry. There is nothing growing. There is no one around. There are no animals. And yet, in the middle of this desert, you come to a place where trees are beginning to grow. And in fact, um, animals are moving around as they eat the, the produce from those trees. In fact, not just little animals, big animals, desert giraffes, desert elephants, they are there in this kind of what seems like an oasis, but there's no water. Why is life here? And then you see that actually you're in a, in a slight valley. And the reason this valley is there is because a river once flowed there, a river that would bring life, that would regenerate the area that is, in fact, was, is still um, available to the plants because that's how they grow. Even though there's no water on the surface, the water is, is down underneath. And this river in Namibia is called the Hawanib um, River. And this river is a river that flows occasionally, maybe once or twice a year, for even just a few hours at a time. And this river transforms this place. In fact, it transforms it to such an extent that even when it stops flowing, it flows because rain um, comes from the mountains and then pours down the mountainsides through this desert. That's, and the water seeps into the sands and seeps into the soil and then trees are able to grow even when the river stops flowing. Even when that happens, animals are still able to be there because this area is regenerated by this river, even though it's temporary. Most of you will know about the rivers that run through the Bible, and those rivers are there to bring life. Those rivers are not temporary. That river is from God, and it's there to bring life, to bring regeneration, to bring change and transformation, and to see the kind of fruit grow. This river is eternal. It's a river that doesn't stop, because even when our water supply runs out, we know we can rely on this river. And I'm going to read about one of those rivers now from Ezekiel 47. If you have your Bible, it'd be great to turn there. We're going to read from Ezekiel 47 and the first 12 verses. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gates facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. 
he measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live there because the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish. Sorry, there will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Eneglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. Just want to place this passage into a little bit of context. Ezekiel is speaking to a people who have lost their home. The Israelites have been sent into captivity. They have been taken over and, and taken away from their homeland. God had promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. And when they were in the land of Israel, they, they would work the land and produce would grow and there would be harvest and they would be able to eat and they'd be able to drink and they would be able to have a good life. That was the promise God had given them if they stayed true to the covenant that they made, if they stayed true to obeying God and loving him and serving him. Now, we know that that didn't happen. And so they have now been taken into captivity. Their walls, their cities have been destroyed. The temple, the very symbol of God's presence, the, the symbol that they were God's special chosen people have been destroyed. And they've been taken out from that land. And now nothing grows. Ezekiel was prophesying in Ezekiel 15 that it would be a desolate land. That's exactly what we see here, no, that nothing was growing. Nothing was growing because they had disobeyed the Lord. And this fits in with the picture that Helen was speaking last week, that we can start in this place of barrenness, a place of desolation where nothing grows. And yet Ezekiel sees this picture, this amazing picture of this river flowing and bringing life back to the area where something would grow, the fruit would grow, the fruit would grow every month even, not just seasonally. It'd be kind of supernatural fruit that continues to grow and the leaves would be for healing. Ezekiel is speaking the words of the Lord here, the hope that is there in this place of desolation, this place of waiting, this place of barrenness. And this river is an amazing thing. And so I just want to look at what the river is and what it means for us right now. And we see, the, firstly, that the river begins at the altar. So I just want to look at what the altar is. Why did the river begin at the altar? And we know from the Old Testament that the altar was a place of sacrifice, a place where the people would come and they would lay a sacrifice on the altar and they would give this sacrifice to God. And so the altar is a place of sacrifice. 
think about the kind of Old Testament history. The Lord had made mankind, he had made us in his image to be in relationship with him, that we would be at one with him. We would know him intimately. We would walk with him day by day, moment by moment. We would walk in the Garden of Eden. But we had, we'd gone away from that. We turned our backs from that. And when sin entered the world, that separation happened so that we could no longer be at one with God. And But God wanted that still to happen. So even though we've been separated from him, he had this plan, a plan for us to come back into a relationship with him, to be at one with him again. And he instigated this system of sacrifice. It starts in the tabernacle under Moses. And then the temple is built, uh, built under Solomon. And when the temple and the tabernacle were there, there was an altar placed there. And the people would bring their sacrifices. We know that because we were separated from God because of our sin, that's when death entered the world. And death entered as a consequence, a consequence of the way that we had turned our back on God. This was God's judgment on us because we have let him down, because we've gone our own way. Death entered the world. This was his judgment. But he still wanted us to be in a relationship with him. But our sin meant that we couldn't enter into his presence. We, we were too broken for a holy God. We couldn't come near him. But he instigated this sacrificial system so that something else, an animal would die in our stead. The animal would atone for our sin. And the word atonement literally means at one moment. In other words, we can become at one with God because of the sin laid on the sacrifice. And the blood would be shed, and then we would be forgiven, as Kelvin was saying and leading us through in communion earlier. We would be set free, and we would, our lives would be brought back. So even though we were, we, we were subject to death, as the Bible says in Romans, that the wages of sin is death, that the consequences of our actions are that we would die but actually the animal, animal would be laid on the altar, the blood shed, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be bought back and the price would be paid so that we can be in a relationship with God, made one with him. So the altar is a place of sacrifice. And then we see that there, is an, there are other rivers throughout scripture and we come to the end of the Bible in Revelation 22 and we read about a very similar river. That is here in Ezekiel 47. So Revelation 22 in the first three verses says this. Then the angel showed me, this time it's John, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Now we see there are lots of similarities with this river in Revelation 22, as there is in Ezekiel 47. We see that the river is for, is for life. Fruit is born every month. It's, again, it's not just seasonal, it's monthly. It's continuous fruit being produced. And we see the leaves for, are for healing. And we see that this river flows from the altar. Now, here's where there are differences. In Revelation, the altar is the lamb, because we know that Jesus was the ultimate sacrificial lamb, the ultimate sacrifice, 
so that we could be, again, at one with God. That's, that's what the altar signified in the Old Testament. It was just a shadow of what was to come, that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice. And when he laid his life down on the altar, we could come to him. We could come into God's presence. And because of that, there would be, there would be healing. And this time in Revelation, it's not just healing for, for individuals. It's actually healing for the nations. In other words, that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't just for the nation of Israel, as Ezekiel pictured it. Actually, it was healing for the nations, for every one of us. Every one of us who came into a relationship with Jesus, we could, we could take the fruit, we could then bear the fruit, and we could have the leaves for healing for those around us, everyone for us. You see, it was the lamb, it was Jesus who laid himself down on the altar. And then the river flows from there. The river flows and that's when life comes. Life can only come because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice laid down there on the altar. And life and kind of uh, regeneration, rebirth, the Bible calls it, that God created the world. And then he recreates the world in Christ because we had messed it up, because we have broken it. So this regenerating river, this regeneration is only possible by God's grace because of his sacrifice. Only possible because he has done it in the first place and laid down his life. And because of that, we can now boldly enter his presence. We can boldly come before him and know him as God. But the altar is also a place of worship. But here's the thing. It's not just a place of worship where, uh, where we come where, however we like. It needs to be on his terms. The whole sacrificial system was given so that we would worship God in obedience to him. In other words, that it would be on his terms. The people of Israel would come with their sacrifices and they would lay down the sacrifice. And it would be an act of worship to say, Lord, you are God. You are good. You deserve this sacrifice. However much it costs, however much it costs in terms of finances, but also in just coming to that place, the altar, it needed to be meeting God in that place. And so for that river to flow, for that river to flow in our lives and then from our lives into other people, we need to make sure that we are living life on his terms, that we are sacrificing our lives on his terms. You see, regeneration in the church, regeneration in us, is not just by God's grace, which is great, hallelujah, we are, we are saved by him, but it's also from God's presence. So in other words, Jesus sacrifices himself so that we can sacrifice ourselves before him. We meet him in that place. For me, my journey of preaching, my journey of growth, if you like, you know, I, I start off or have started off in the past whenever I've come to prepare for preaching, thinking like, I want to come up with the most wonderfully articulate sermon, one that kind of moves us emotionally and, and then moves us closer to God. You know, I'll make you laugh and then I'll make you cry in, in, in a good way. Um, and we'll come to this place where we kind of go, wow, before Jesus. And at the end, people come up to me and say, wonderful, Dan, that was a brilliant sermon. In fact, the best sermon I've ever heard. That's kind of my, my, my dream, if you like, my human dream about preaching. 
But a long time ago, when I first started preaching, I realized that that is not on God's heart. In fact, in order for him to do what he wants to do through my preaching or through anything that I want to do, in order for him to see his work done, I need to sacrifice myself. So even if I preach a terrible sermon, I am inarticulate. It's, it's, un, it's not funny when I'm trying to be. It, it makes you cry in a bad way. If God still meets with us, if God still has his way, then that's okay. And you see, we all have dreams for our family, for our jobs, for every part of our lives, I guess. We dream about things. And those dreams might be good dreams. There's nothing wrong with those dreams. But if we aren't prepared to sacrifice them on the altar, then we will never experience the regeneration, the flow of the river through us, because we actually don't sacrifice before him in true worship. That's what the Lord wants from us. That's what we see in this river. This river is a picture of the regenerative work that Christ does in us. And because of that, we lay down our lives and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we do that, that's how we experience growth. We, are, we lay our lives down. That's when we see the fruit of the Spirit. That's when we see the healing, the miracles, the things that God wants to do in us. It's when we lay our lives down, allow Him by His Spirit, the river to flow through us and see the work that he wants to do. So actually, I just feel, let's just pause and pray. I've got some more to say, to say but I just want to pause here and maybe give us a chance just to think about where are we not experiencing growth in our own lives or maybe even in the church? Where, where do we feel stagnant, where the river isn't flowing? And is it because we haven't met him on his terms? We haven't laid down a sacrifice for him. So I'm just going to pause for 30 seconds or so just for us to think about that. And then I'll pray and then I'll say some more. So let's just come before the Lord in honesty, in humility. Father, we thank you for your amazing sacrifice for us. Thank you for sending Jesus to lay his life down on the cross, on the altar, so that we can come into a relationship with you. Oh, Lord, that is so wonderful. How can we not sacrifice ourselves? So, Lord, I pray that you will reveal to us areas where we need to sacrifice, where we need to lay down our lives before you again, where there might be areas that we haven't let you touch by your spirit. So we pray, river of God, come flowing through us and bring growth where there is barrenness, bring fruitfulness where there's desolation. We want to see your kingdom come. So come into our lives, Lord, and bring your river that brings regeneration, bring your hope and bring growth. We lay our lives down before you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. So we see that the river, the river begins at the altar, but then the river increases in depth. It starts up as a trickle. And then we see that the man of God measures a thousand cubits, and which is more or less a mile in modern language. It measures a thousand cubits, puts a stake in the ground, then it's ankle deep, and then another thousand knee deep, then another thousand waist deep. And then there's this torrent, this river that no one can cross. And this is a picture of what it's like in our relationship with Jesus, that actually it increases in depth, that the Lord is inviting us into a relationship that doesn't just stay at the altar. Because if we just stay in one place, then if the water stays in one place, what happens? It becomes stagnant, uh, a small pond or, or something where the water isn't flowing, it becomes stagnant and, and nothing grows like the Dead Sea. But in that place where we take a step down the river, we move and this is where growth is. And if you think if you've ever swum in a river or um, you put your foot in a stream, as the water gets deeper, the harder it is for us to move against it. And also, if the water is shallow, we have more or less full control. But if we were to go down a waterfall, we would have more or less no control. We are totally at the mercy of the river. This is a picture of what it's like with the Holy Spirit. The Lord is inviting us into a relationship with him so that we are moving from a place where we have full control. And then we lay it down to a place where we let the river just move with us. The river moves and we move. So we go down the river and we allow him to move in a way that takes us wherever he wants us to go. So we are shown the way. We see in this picture, this man is, measures it out. So he measures, God measures. But we have to choose to respond and move down the river to increase in depth and allow, and allow him to take us and to move us. In fact, the further down we go, the harder it is to resist. So as we move down, we are taken by the Lord to wherever he wants us to go. And the encouragement from this passage is that we allow ourselves to be carried by the river from this place of initial encounter. And when that happens, it's like we become the river, that we become the people who actually produce the fruit. So the river flows from God. But then the river flows from God into us, brings life to us. And then the river flows out from us and enables us to bring the healing, to bring the fruit that he wants from us. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 7. And he talks about this in terms of the river. He says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them rivers of living water so god does a regenerative work in us through christ brings us back into a relationship with him and then that river flows from us and enables us to bring regeneration to the rest of the world to those around us and what's really interesting is that this word for living in this passage that jesus talks about so this is john 7:38 living waters that word living appears 14 times in the New Testament. The Greek word is zontos. And 12 of those times, it is talking about the living God. So in other words, when Jesus is talking about the rivers of living water flowing through us, it is like it's the source of creation himself 
living inside of us, recreating us, making us more like him, and then flowing from out of us. So the living God is now living in us, and that enables us to bring greater life to those around us. That is an amazing story that the living God who could do anything, all of it on his own, he chooses to use us. And the way he does so is because of Jesus and then the Holy Spirit coming in us and enabling us to bring life. This is a picture of the regenerative works that God wants us to do in Christ. So as well as a picture of the regenerative work that Jesus does in us, it's the work that he wants us to do in his name. And we can almost see this on the day of Pentecost, that the birth of the church, when the Holy Spirit descended on the church, that's when the journey started. That's where the river started from a trickle into this raging torrent where we see around the world God moving in every country, in every nation. His gospel is going forward. And the truth is that the, the journey didn't stop at the end of the Bible, at the end of Acts. The journey continues. And we are the continuation of that journey, that the river is still flowing. And that river isn't to be kept for us, it's for the whole world. So it's not just to build us up, it's so that we can go and bring the life and the healing and the things that God wants to see in this earth. He chooses to use us, the Holy Spirit, moving in all of us. It's a picture of the work that he is doing in our lives and the work that he wants to do through us to bring those who are outside of this growth pattern, who are in a place of barrenness, a place of desolation, into a place of life where fruit never stops. See, it's the river that brings regeneration. It's the river of the Holy Spirit who leads us to Jesus and enables us to see at the end of this river all this fish, this great abundant harvest, than he wants in our lives. So I'm going to ask a couple more questions, and this time it's more corporate. What area of North, North Bushy needs regeneration? What area of North Bushy needs to see the river of living waters flow so that, so that the fruit is produced and people come into the life that he longs for us? And what would that look like? What does it look like for us where we would see fruit coming every month continuously and to see the leaves for healing? What does that mean for us? So I'm just going to pause. Maybe there are one or two areas you just want to pray for within North Bushy. And let's ask the Lord to flow through us, his river, to bring that regeneration. I'm going to pause and then we'll pray.